0: Songwriters from 3,000 years ago, uh, one of them once said this, that my heart is stirred by a noble theme. Not what's on the board. This is a tangent. My heart is stirred by a noble theme. And then he proceeds to talk about what we can see as probably an early prophetic picture of the King Jesus. And so as I come to this theme of kingdom, I feel like my heart's stirred by it. We have had a lot of ups and downs as a church. And as you get towards the end of the the year, there's a bit of weariness that can set in, a bit of discouragement. But I really want your hearts to be stirred by a noble theme as well. And all I can really do is bring you God's word. I've sort of been saturated in it the last few weeks and, in fact, probably most of this year, thinking about this theme. And, you know, you guys probably hear of a manifesto or the idea of a manifesto as being the collation of someone's ideas about a big theme. I guess this, in a way, is a bit of a manifesto because the Lord Jesus, not me, said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so we were sort of captured. Well, I was captured by this idea. Something got my attention in Revelation. As you know, we've been going through Revelation. We've got through all the churches of Revelation and we're about to swing into and progress into the grand prophecies, which in many ways are really just another kingdom parable. Jesus was telling kingdom parables when he was on earth. You can read about them in Matthew, Mark, Luke and to a certain extent, a little bit in John. But I believe this is a massive kingdom parable about the ultimate coming of the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom. And so this particular verse got my attention. And that's what I want to preach on today. It is from Revelation 5, verse 10. It is the song of the 24 elders. It's a song. These 24 elders, as well as these strange and magnificent beings surround God's throne. And at one point, they sing this song. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. They will reign on earth. I might just read all of Revelation 5, 7 to 10, just to give you the, the context. And you can turn there if you want, or you can just sit and listen. Maybe just sit and listen. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he, who is clearly the Lord Jesus, had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one, each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll. No one else was. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. I'll read that again. You have made them. Look at yourselves. Look around. You have been made. Take a selfie if you want, like Tim is. You have been made to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and reign on earth. What does that mean? It sounds cool. It is cool. And that's what I'm going to pray about now. Father, this is a noble thing. What a thing. It pervades and fuses all of Scripture. And so, too, it should infuse all of our lives. I pray that it would. Our hearts would be stirred by a noble theme. In Jesus' name, amen. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests and to serve our God. So that got my attention. Then you got my attention. And getting towards the end of the year and thinking about, particularly for young people at a crossroads perhaps, finishing schooling, finishing uni, deciding what they want to do vocationally, And so I began to think about you, and at the same time, I'd been thinking all year about this idea of the kingdom, the kingdom motif, and I just thought I'd put this up. What do you think this is a list of? I'm going to read them really quickly. Accountant, teacher, administrator, civil engineer. I just put electrician in because of the thing I had with Eddie. Surveyor, I might have given it away now. Agronomist, farmer, journalist, psychologist, IT, professional, transport, hospitality, food production, nurse, doctor, printing, lawyer, mechanic, artist, musician, pilot, teacher aide, fashion designer, lumberjack, property developer. What is that a list of? Now, see, you've jumped ahead, Tiff, you've jumped ahead. A mum, actually why don't I just go there, since you segued there anyway. It is actually a list of occupations that you either have, or have had, or are thinking about having. That's what it's a list of, but what I was going to lead into, and Tiff jumped the gun, so now my dramatic moment is lost, I was going to go, well, what's missing? And then, that's right, and then I was going to go, what's missing is our special forces. Now. Special forces are highly flexible, adept, adept. they they can do a wide range of tasks. They do it in a thankless kind of way. They require superhuman perseverance and endurance. And so I would say that our housemums, our housewives, are our domestic SF. They are our domestic special forces. They are our domestic professionals. Because I'm pretty sure you could make a case for they do a little bit of all that at home. Maybe the piloting, although they drive, that's a form of piloting. Um, there's a little bit of that everywhere. Lumberjack, I've seen Kerry with the sabre saw out there. Agronomist, I'm pretty sure a lot of you have uh, little patches of lettuce and stuff out the back, don't you? Tomatoes, I don't know. Um, administration, bit engineering, a lot of you are doing, I don't know, uh, Renaults and things like that. Anyway, the point is, is that all these vocations... Form such a large part of our life, and the domestic special forces do a little bit of everything. So my hat goes off to you, and I actually mean that. I just really I understand a little bit of that perseverance that's required in the home. So congratulations to each of you for being great at that, and just please keep doing that. But I'm thinking of this kingdom theme. I'm thinking of all the vocations. I'm thinking of Revelation, these grand prophetic words, these almost dream-like visions that come, and I'm thinking, what does all of that have to do with all of this, with all these vocations. And so that's what sort of got my attention. And I'm hoping that it'll get your attention as well, particularly this idea of in the middle of all those vocations, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. What does that mean? That's what got my attention. And Funnily enough, over the last year or so, I listen to a wide variety of podcasts. We read a wide variety of books, and it just this theme just kept coming up in the in in, in across the territories of Christendom, <laughs> like because that's what I listen to. Whether it's you know the reform side, or whether it's more charismatic side, or somewhere in between, or maybe a little bit of everything. You know, I might be listening to a podcast called the God Pod, which is Anglican. Then I might be listening to a podcast called Unbelievable. Then I might be listening to, you know, Frank Viola. Then I might be listening to, um, you know, some of the reform guys. And this theme just kept coming up and up. And then I'm sitting in Johanna's graduation and the theme came up again, where someone was praying that um, out of all the different vocations that people wanted to do, that they would be great in the kingdom. That they would be great in the kingdom. And I actually sent a Inbox a guy, um, Mr. Nike, he does the great speeches. and I wanted to get an excerpt, but he hasn't got back to me, so I feel I shouldn't use it without his permission. Um, hopefully he'll get back and maybe I can use it in one of the other series because we're going to do another two of these series. But anyway, this, this idea of seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, this idea of you've been made to be a kingdom, kings and priests, it's just massive. So we might just turn there to where this verse comes out because this is going to tie into where I'm going. So Matthew 6. 25, Matthew 6, 25. And while you're turning there or swiping your way there, I just want you to be aware of this, that in Matthew you've got the Christmas story in sort of Matthew 1 and 2. Then you've got Jesus calling. You've got him calling his disciples. You've got the temptation. And then he rolls straight into his first sermon, which we'll talk about a bit later. And then he rolls into what the kingdom looks like. And in the middle of it, in the middle of it here is these verses. And he's just talking about the mundane things of life. Verse 25 from Matthew 6, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? You see what he's saying? If you're defining yourself by food and clothes, don't do that. You're not defined by what you eat and by what you wear. You are far more than that. And then he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And we've often taken these verses here and gone, you know what this is all about? Just don't worry. Get rid of worry. And again, it's so, so dehydrated. It's such a dehydrated way of looking at things. There's so much more to these verses here, and we could spend many, many months just here. So dropping down to um, verse 31, he says, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So your mission, your mandate from King Jesus is, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's your mandate. And what he's saying there is, yes, don't worry, because these other things will be taken care of in one way or another. But do not be like the world would want you to be, that is, following after you know, the latest fashions, the latest clothes, the latest food, and all those kind of material things. You are much more than that. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And if Jesus is daring to say that his kingdom is better than any of that, then you should listen to him, because he kind of knows what's going on with reality. If you search for kingdom in the Bible, just in the New Testament, I encourage you to do this as a challenge I'm going to issue to you later on. 150 times it appears, the word kingdom in the New Testament, it's something really important and he really wants us to get it. And I really think that for us as a church, if we don't get this, this is why I call it like a manifesto, if we don't get this, we will just falter, stumble, we will have a dehydrated idea of what God's kingdom vision is for us. So it's really important, I think, to understand how. How are we to seek? You know, Even if I said that to you, how do you seek God's kingdom first? How do you do that? Like if I was to go uh, somehow with, I don't know, kingdom cam, and kingdom cam is on your life, and, and we lose audio, so it's not what you're saying, it's what you're doing, uh, what does that look like to seek first the kingdom? Did your kids understand when they look at mum and dad? What does it look like? How do you do that? And to understand the how, I guess we have to understand the what. Of the kingdom and to do that I now have to preach to you the whole Bible so I'm gonna cheat a little bit I'm gonna to go to the end because I like going to the end first sometimes and I'm gonna to go to the beginning and I really want you to bear with me as we look at what the kingdom is what God intends for the kingdom the end of the Bible the beginning of the Bible you ready You ready Kathy you ready Gabby All right, so if we go to the end of the Bible where we've just been and we're going to continue to be over the next uh, few months, maybe even year with the Revelation series, we see in the end of the Bible, this is where I got this verse from, the Song of the 24 Elders, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. So the kingdom has come in its fullness. If we read again from Revelation, we see in Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Imagine that. Everything renovated by fire. Somehow still the same, but a new system, a new world order, literally. And then most beautiful of beautiful things. The end of the Bible, 21, 3 to 7. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Imagine that. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I'm so glad he was told to write those down or you would have missed out on one of the most magnificent parts of the Bible. Aren't you glad he wrote it down? He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes. Remember we said Revelation is about doing the words. You want to do the words of Revelation. Be inspired. Be scared. Be warned to overcome. Because it's here again. To overcome. To overcome. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God and he will be my son. That's the end of the Bible. And if I was to summarise conceptually, I would say the end of the Bible is kingdom fullness. Jesus announced and inaugurated the kingdom. He said the kingdom is at hand, but here it is in its fullness. It's a new heavens and a new earth and humanity rules with God. They will rule with God. What does that mean? How can God say that? Isn't he scared that we might take over or something? Isn't that a bit blasphemous? If I was just saying that without the Bible, you would probably run me out of town, wouldn't you? How can you say that? And yet this is God saying it. There is some way in which we are to rule. So what does that mean in the kingdom? We need to go now to the beginning. Okay, So that's the end of the Bible. Kingdom fullness. New heavens, new earth. God dwells with us. We we rule with him. The end of the Bible, the beginning of the Bible. Let's go to the beginning of the Bible. Um, again, you can just maybe listen and, and look this stuff up later if you want. But the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 31, God saw all the, that he had made. It was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So that is the end of creation. And he goes, that's good. Incredibly complex structures, both in the macro scale, the cosmological scale, down to the quantum scale, all created intrinsically um, full of his life, beautiful, wonderful. It's, It's actually, a if you think about it, it's a new heavens and a new earth. It's just been created, right? And then we see this in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Let us make man in our image. Now, I want you to hold this thought, in our image. Image is an ancient Hebrew word, Semitic word, and it has a very strong word picture associated with it, okay? The strong word picture is this. If you're a king in ancient times of your little kingdom or fiefdom or whatever, often you would set up an image of yourself on the boundary of your land to indicate all that, to all that were coming that this image here represents my power and my authority over this kingdom. So you would come in and straight away you would go, ah, this kingdom belongs to that. And that king is known by his power, his authority, and these are his characteristics. You would know that straight away. That is where that word image comes from. Okay, So just hold that in the back of your mind. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the the earth has been created with potential to improve. It's good, but now God is saying, now go out, multiply, fill it, subdue it. So rule over it in a righteous kind of way. Don't trash it. Don't trash it. Rule over it in a righteous way. I love my creation. Make sure you rule over it in a righteous kind of way, in a just kind of way, in a sustainable kind of way. That's all happening. That's all happening. So human beings are ruling with God. And then we see as well that God, again, he, he repeats it. You go from big kind of focus to little focus in Genesis and he repeats it. God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created them. Male and female, he created them. So the beginning of the Bible is kingdom fullness, new heavens, new earth, literally. And humanity rules with God. Humanity rules with God. He has said, rule over the earth. And you go, well, how does that work? Um, I think the psalmist probably does it pretty well. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But just for now, hold that thought. So beginning of the Bible, uh, end of the Bible, kingdom fullness, new heavens, new earth, humanity rules with God. What does it mean to rule with God? And what does it have to do with all these vocations that I've just put up there again? Which is you, Willowburn? This is you in the world right now or about to be, potentially, hopefully, or have been, within all those different domains. You have, in a sense, ruled in that area. What does ruling have to do with all this? And, or maybe to put it another way, does your work right now count for anything in the kingdom? Does me pushing and pulling the controls of a helicopter count for anything in the kingdom? Do our domestic SF up the back there already doing their duties Persevering, enduring, does that count for anything in the kingdom? Psychology, does that count for anything? Surveying, agronomy, farming, uh, round and round on the tractor rig Does that count for anything in the kingdom? Does it? How, How would you answer that? How would you answer that? Maybe I can ask it another question just to maybe get us to keep thinking, how were we to rule in the beginning? How are we to rule in the beginning? How, what did God say to humanity? What was His intent for humanity? This is what He said in Genesis 1:28. He said, He blessed them, so He blesses them. And He said, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, so, um, and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Rule. And then, so the songwriter from the psalmist, remember I mentioned that before, 3,000 years ago, he puts it this way Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And then in 115, verse 16, he says, "The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to man." So you've got this picture there of, here is the Earth. It's been given over to man to rule, to humanity to rule. And over all that, though, the ultimate king is, of course, the Lord Jesus, but he's given us territories. And domains. So a domain is like uh, me, piloting. That's a domain. I, I am to rule as He would rule in that. That doesn't mean um, bossing people around. What that means is, what did Jesus say leadership was? Servant leadership. That means loving, serving, growing in that area. Now, let me ask another question. If we are told to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over it, what vocations would be required to do that? Think about it. Adam and Eve, he knows they're going to expand their family. Their family is going to expand into nations. Think about the infrastructure required to fill and multiply the Earth. Would you not require engineers? Would you not require surveyors? Would you not require administrators? Would you not require teachers? Would you not require lawyers, mechanics? Would you not require, eventually, when computers were designed that don't actually fault, because it, it, maybe it would state a perfect world? Would you not require .IT. professionals? You would require masses amount. Of people doing that and they were all supposed to do it in His image. They were supposed to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. They were supposed to be the image. Remember the image I said standing on the boundary of a king's land? You are that image. You are God's image standing in that domain and people are supposed to look at you and they're supposed to go, be. that's what it looks like to be an accountant in God's image. That's what it looks like to be a musician in God's image. That's what it looks like to be a journo in God's image. That's what it looks like when you're standing at that stinky bottom, changing the nappy. That's what it looks like when it's done in his image with his characteristics. That's what it looks like. That's what it's supposed to be. And so this idea of vocation is not just an add-on. This idea of vocation and this idea, it's literally, vocation is calling. You are called to love, serve and grow. We've been through that many times in this church, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, to love each other. But you are called as well to be vocationally ruling. And so, you know, if we were to go to Kingdom Cam and it was to zoom in on maybe at, you know, at, the, at the coffee machine, out at Oaky, uh, wherever, So zoom in on those vocational areas. People should see something fundamentally different. They should see kingdom culture, kingdom values. They should see the very image of God at work amongst them. This is why this is like a manifesto, my brothers and sisters. This is is how it's supposed to be. But there's a problem, isn't there? It's called the fall. And so because of the fall, a whole bunch of different things happen. All of a sudden... Our work appears to be mindless and it just, it just, just get us through to the weekend, please. It's not seen as an image-bearing task. It's seen as something else. And this, this fall has wrecked everything. But I want to tell you right now that does your work count? It does. It counts. This is why Paul would later on say in Colossians 3, verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. And I think this as well, this also I think changes a little bit and reinforces our perspective of what evangelism is. Because now you kind of it makes sense that someone would come to you and go, like Peter says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. It's like, hey, tell me about why why, why do you why are you so serious and joyful and happy and stuff about your work? Oh, because let me tell you about the kingdom. I believe I'm doing this for God. God has intended me to do this. Now, you might be transitioning in jobs and so forth, but you're there right now. God's got you there. So do it well. And then you get to talk about Jesus. You get to talk about his redemption and you get to talk about the fall. Because that's the problem here. It's the fall. And what I want you to understand, I guess, is that, well, not I guess, I'm certain, that the fall of man meant the rise of another power. Man was given earth to rule. When man fell, Satan rose up in power over the earth. He is called the prince of the air in the Bible. He is called, uh, he he himself says in Luke uh, 4, 6 to 7, when Jesus is getting tempted, he says, I will give you, this is Satan speaking, I will give you to Jesus as he tempts him all their authority and splendor for he has been given to me. That's a blasphemous thing to say, isn't it? I am ruling and I will give you. We don't really know probably all the details of what's going on there. But Jesus doesn't refute that. All he says is, worship God and him alone. But then Satan, and and, and Satan actually continues, he says, for it, the world, has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Who gave Satan the world? Some might say, God, but I don't buy it. It's a very strange thing for God to give Satan the world. We did. Exactly. We did. When we gave up and we thought, you know what, that fruit or whatever, and whatever that represents, and the profound implications, the terrible implications, when we said, I'm taking of that fruit because I want to be just like God, something in all of creation, in the creative order, was catastrophically disrupted and Satan rose up in power. And if you want to know what it looks like when this dark power rises up because of the fall of man, then you need look no further, no further at all. Than the front page of the Chronicle, because now our flesh and sorry, our struggle is not against flesh and blood; it is against the dark powers, as it says in Ephesians 6. So I just this is just from Friday, I think, and I could do an exegesis of that front page and pull out every consequence of the fall. You know, the the obvious one is sex abuse there, where the boundaries of Sexual intimacy have been so ruptured that it just leads to this terrible atrocity against children. But as well, they're already starting their Christmas advertising. People right now will spend many, many hours, and that in itself not a bad thing, but when it's become everything, another consequence of the fall, idolatry, spending all this time on stuff, get the latest gadget, get the latest car, get the latest house, Again, they're not bad things in themselves, but when they have become like little gods to us, they drive us now. They drive how we work. They drive the hours that we work. They drive the, the way we choose to spend our time. That's all a consequence of the fall. It is Satan's world order, it is the world order of sin reigning, death reigning. You know, then you've got this rise on the left there um, of celebrities. You can't tell me that if you're spending that amount of time and you see that many likes, that many comments, that they are not being worshipped in one way or another. And all of that, what's it for? Any, Any one of those things, if I did spend a whole bunch more time, any one of those things just lead to death and meaninglessness. You know, For the young people thinking about vocation, just think about this. Without God, without his kingdom plan, without his kingdom purposes, what's it all for? What's it all for? So the fall brings all that horrible stuff and we could go on and on and on. So does God choose obliteration? Does he choose molecular deconstruction? Start all over again? No. No. From Genesis, from the beginning of you, from the beginning of humanity, from your call to rule in his image, to the end, the goal of you, to rule again in his image. You know, there will be vocations. I have no doubt at all. There will be vocations when the new heavens and the new earth come together. There will be vocations. There will be work. There will be jobs. They will be done wonderfully and perfectly. And so God, instead of choosing obliteration or molecular deconstruction or whatever, He chooses the long, excruciating, this intersection of God's divine will with humanity's freedom, the long, complicated path which you see represented in the Bible, which from the very beginning, he is wanting to take a people to show the world what the kingdom values, kingdom culture looks like. You see it all get trashed in Genesis. You see then him choose Abraham. You, choose, you see him choose Abraham's descendants. They are to live kingdom culture, kingdom values. Yes, they will bring the chosen one. They'll bring Jesus later, but they are supposed to live in a way that the world will go, wow, look at that. I want to be a part of that. They're supposed to bless the whole world that way. Instead, it just gets all horrible and messed up. In fact, any part of the Bible you can go to and you can apply this kingdom motif. It binds all of the books of the Bible. So few other themes do. You can go to Ecclesiastes and you'll see wisdom, kingdom wisdom about what this world order looks like. Read Ecclesiastes. You can go to, obviously, the Kings and Chronicles and see God's kingdom the way it's supposed to be and then see it ruptured, fragmented, broken by man and man's decisions and then see him just picking up the pieces and driving on with his plan because he's in the heavens, he does whatever he wants even as man stuffs it up down here and the dark powers continue to fragment and wreck the world. And obviously then we get to the New Testament and something exceedingly wonderful happens. Let me read to you from Colossians. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, so this sinful nature enables these dark powers to rule. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away and he what? Does anyone remember? He nailed it to the cross. And does anyone remember the next bit, which we so often just skip over? And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities with his outstretched arms, my brothers and sisters, with his wounds, he disarmed the powers and the authorities that have made your job so boring, that have made your job like a grind, that have brought abuse, that have brought uh, horrible things that we, we, we wouldn't even mention in polite company. He disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross who would have thought who would have thought the dark powers would have been beaten in that way who would have thought that wow that was his plan that's the whole bible plan that's why jesus first sermon was what what was jesus first sermon it's very easy very easy to remember very simple anyone remember it's always easy for me to ask these questions because I've read up and I'd be sitting there as well going, oh, is this a trick question? It was the kingdom. In, in all three Gospels, and John the Baptist says it as well, the kingdom is coming. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent is just simply change your way of thinking. Stop chasing after all these things that can't satisfy. Now turn to me because my kingdom is coming. And we're going to see in Revelation in many ways, the violent arrival of God's kingdom—it was a peaceful, almost diplomatic first mission. Now it's coming, whether you like it or not. And you can either be in the kingdom of God or stay in the kingdom of the world, which is heading for destruction. God's not going to let evil persist. He is in the heavens. He does whatever he wants. He's given man over, uh, given earth over to men, but he will not. He will not abide by that forever. At some point, at some point. His kingdom will come in fullness. And at that time, all evil, all evildoers will be burnt up. Please do not be in the kingdom of the world at that time. And I encourage you to come back to us in Revelation and listen to what happens. Because that is the ultimate kingdom parable of when God's kingdom comes in fullness of what happens and how evil is finally dealt with. No one can complain about that because God himself has died. He has given you the opportunity. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. That's the mandate. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So as we finish up here today, let me ask you this. What would Jesus' kingdom righteousness look it, it, If this was to be taken seriously, right? Because we might be thinking, you know what? I get that, Adrian. That sounds really cool, but that's in the future. Wrong. Jesus said, now, now. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness now. So in whatever you're doing in your different occupations, or even if you're retired with your time, what does it look like? for Jesus' kingdom righteousness to be in that place. And I pray that God will give you a, a vision of that and that you will work toward, you, you will work your hands to the bone for that because that's a noble thing. And of course, that's going to involve speaking to people and loving people and serving because they are God's kingdom attributes. He loves kindness, justice and righteousness. He delights in those things. What does it look like for kindness, justice and righteousness to reign or to begin to come and arrive in your workplace, whether you're a musician or a you know, psychologist or a transport um, driver or whatever, what does it look like? What would his values look like in that place? We're going to spend a whole sermon on God's kingdom values, Jesus' kingdom values, Jesus' kingdom culture. What would his ambitions be? If you thought... If you think about the Bible, when you think about his ambitions to redeem the whole earth, it's a cosmic mission, but it's also very, very sophisticated and detailed. It involves you in your job. It involves you in your home. What would it look like for his ambitions to be fulfilled? Did he not ask us to pray? What did he ask us to pray? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That, in the Greek, that's one line. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's one line, one thought. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done as an accountant, as a teacher. Your kingdom come, your will be done as a lawyer, as a mechanic, as a musician. What does that, what does that look like? What should, we, what should we work for? That's what we're working towards. We're asking God, yes, it may not be achieved in completion in your lifetime even, but that's what he's asking you to do in your workplace. That is what vocation has to do with kingdom and ruling. And you know what you're doing as you work? You know what that's going to require? I know it sounds like a noble thing. It's going to require hurt, pain, sacrifice because Jesus has said, you want to follow me? Take up your cross every day. It's going to hurt a bit. You're going to have to give certain things up. That's what it all... And you know what happens in that moment? As, As you seek the kingdom and so forth? Do you know what happens? You live out the gospel. You do what Jesus did in miniature. Because you die to self so that others might grow, so that others might see. Wow, what a I don't know, that's just a noble thing, you know. That's a that's a beautiful thing. The goal is that um, the exile would be over. God's dwelling would be with humankind. In the meantime, though, it's happening right now. He's asking us to do it right now. Oh God. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I love them. I thank you for them. We're all at various places on our journey. But Lord Jesus, would you please enlighten our minds, enlighten our hearts. Lord, please give to my brothers and sisters and to me an enduring vision. It is not by power nor by might, but by your spirit that this will be accomplished. We have, we have no excuses your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Oh Lord, right now, the possibilities are endless of what a little church like this would look like if Seek First the Kingdom and His righteousness was actualized. Bring it, I pray, O oh Lord Jesus. Bring it. Whatever sacrifices have to be made, bring it, I pray, Lord Jesus, in your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, that's, a, that's a grand vision. And I just want you to know that if you'll go back over this year's sermons, you'll see that God has brought this together in a very cool way. Because what you'll see is first love first. And I encourage you to go back and listen to the sermons and all the guys that have preached. First love first. Then you'll see the splendors of the Holy Spirit. And finally, finishing off this year, as we go into next year, you will see this emphasis on God's kingdom. That is not a mistake. We didn't choreograph that. That has just happened. And so I encourage you to go back because this magnificent vision requires God to be first in our lives. It requires the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. If you really want to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then you really want your work to count right now, then get on with it. Get on with it. As Paul has said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though working for the Lord and not for men. Does your work count right now? I want to tell you that if Paul could say that to a slave, now slaves were not the same as the slaves we often see on TV. It was a different kettle of fish. Um, But if Paul could say that, even worse case, Paul could say to a slave, work as though working for the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus is going to accept that as good work, that should be enough. That should be enough for you to see that this kingdom thing is, is massive. And what I want you to do as well with your job, okay? I drive past Brimblecombe Road every day. or well, not every day, nearly every day. And you see the crops coming up. It's such, it's, it preaches a sermon to my heart. And I drive past. I don't even know what that is. Do you know what that is, Andrew? Sorghum. Of course, sorghum. Kerry always jokes at me. You say everything's sorghum. I, go, I think that is sorghum. I know it's not sunflowers. That's the level of my agronomy. So now I'm looking at that, and it just kind of looks random. Now I'm standing in the field with my little iPhone, and it looks random. I look across the all the plants are sorghum, and then all I do is I change my perspective 90 degrees, okay? And look what happens. Oh, magic. I know it's just a simple illustration, but now I see order. Now I see it's going somewhere. And this is how I feel about the grand and spectacular motif of the kingdom. Your lives, you might be looking at your lives going, it's all unordered, doesn't really mean anything. I ask you to look at it with God's kingdom perspective. And see that it's going somewhere. And see that it counts now. The Bible itself as well. I want you to look at the Bible in this kingdom perspective. And I want to do this with you. This is going to be hard work on my behalf. But I would ask that maybe you indulge me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, there's 150 kingdom verses. I'm just going to choose 100. And day by day, for 100 days, I'm going to send you a kingdom verse. Either text or put it on Facebook. And I just ask you to consider it for a minute, one minute a day. That's all I'm asking for, for the next 100 days as we transition from 2016 to 2017. I ask you to think for a minute, pray. Maybe on Facebook you can put some comments or text back comments. But each day, for 100 days, one kingdom verse, just for you to think about, pray about. You don't have to do anything with it if you don't want to. And just ask the Lord to speak to you about his kingdom perspective. Seek first the kingdom my brothers and sisters. What would that look like at Willowburn? That to me would be church success. That to me would be magnificent, um, comprehensive success. And I believe that that is what success looks like for God as well, that you're seeking first the kingdom and it can be seen. We are now going to transition to the kingdom custom of communion. The Lord Jesus himself inaugurated this. For 2,000 years, your kingdom brothers and sisters have participated in this meal in all its various forms. I'm sure it wasn't just grape juice at times. Today, we get to remember that the king, the king hasn't asked us just to be you know, kingdom workers out there. and I'll just sit up in heaven and watch you do it. No, he has come and died on a cross. That's his, that's his commitment to the kingdom. That's his commitment to you. That's his uh, commitment to planet Earth. That's magnificent. And we're going to remember him today. And I just want to point out this. You may not have noticed this before, or maybe you have, but let's look at it like, you know, the sorghum lined up. Let's look at it this way. So Matthew says this about Jesus. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Now that would represent his body about to be broken on the cross for us so that those principalities and powers would be brought to heal so that the earth could be set right again. So that our sins could be atoned for. The sin that was killing us. Then he took the cup, he gave thanks and he offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then this. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. So, You can't take this away from me at all. No one can deny this. I don't care what you do with the Bible, but you can't deny this. That one day in the kingdom, the Lord Jesus is going to sit and have a meal with us. Now, whether that's millions of people lined up around some transcendent, some massive table. I don't know how it works, whether it's because we're timeless, it's one at a time, whatever. But let me read it again. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That grounds heaven in reality. It's not ethereal. You get to eat and drink. You get to work vocationally, as I said before. This dish just reshapes everything for us. So as we drink, I ask you to consider... Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And if you know, if you know in your heart of hearts that God is calling you to something deeper in this regard, then please get it right with him and then come and remember him because his blood is enough. Tomorrow is a new day. That's the cool thing about the kingdom. Every day, every day is a new day. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this kingdom vision. Thank you for this kingdom perspective. Thank you for each of my brothers and sisters here. And if I had... Time I would pray for them each by name. Instead, Lord, I just ask that in the deepest place of where they are now, in the deepest reality of where their hearts are at, speak. Speak, Father. Speak, Lord Jesus. Speak through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to remember you and we want to thank you. We make a public spectacle of the princes, principalities, and the powers every time we drink and remember. So we do that now proudly. And we ask, Father, that you would speak to us even through this and that your name would be, as was prayed earlier, rightly magnified. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.